This morning, as we continue our journey through Mark's gospel, we come to the clearest statement by Jesus in Mark's gospel as to why, he's, why he came and why he had to die. Jesus is not only the glorious son of man that Daniel predicted would receive the kingdom of God. He's also the suffering servant whom Isaiah, as Nathan just read, said would bear the sins of many. Jesus is the crucified king, and he has come. Let's, uh, let's read together Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And this is the third time he's told him told them this but he adds a little more detail this time verse 33 saying see we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit, and help us to hear your word truly and to understand it and to be changed by it. Uh, we ask that you would do this. Father, would you um, convict us uh, and then comfort us? Um, we 
we ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I once got very angry on a prayer retreat for pastors. Yeah. It was one October, about 13 years ago, I believe it was, when the uh, leaves were at their peak, color change in the Blue Ridge Mountains. I uh, and about four other pastors from Knoxville were participating in, in what had become a fairly regular uh, exercise for us. We'd go away to the mountains with our retreat leader, Buddy, and we'd spend about 36 hours in silence and solitude with God. And um, we were on our way again to one of these great retreats, and uh, we would uh, be served by Buddy. He'd served our meals, including his wife's amazing lasagna and strawberry salad. Um, and even our meals in silence. So it was always just a sweet, refreshing time. But on this particular trip, I was angry with Buddy, with God, and myself. You see, this time, Buddy had arranged for us to, uh, to spend that time at Windy Gap, the Young Life, uh, Young Life Camp near Asheville. Many of you may be familiar with it. I love that place. Once you step onto uh, the property, you just rest. And um, I had assumed that since it was October and school was not in session, that we would have the place to ourselves, that it would just be quiet and man, I was looking forward to this. Um, my heart needed this blissful uh, space and quiet that, that I was awaiting. Um, but on the way, I found out that Buddy and God had other plans. Uh, Buddy told us on our way there that there would be 120 Young Life staff people and their children there. And that we, the six of us, including Buddy, would be their kitchen staff. We would be their table servers for the weekend. You're kidding, right? I had come on this retreat to get away from serving people. I came for silence and solitude, not service. And waiting tables, come on, really. I, I'd never waited tables in my life before that weekend. I was terrified. What am I going to do? Uh, am I going to do a good job at all? And so I started arguing with my creator. Lord, what, how am I going to do this? What about this tremor in my hands? I, I mean, I am going to drop a pitcher of water in somebody's lap. Lord, you, you do know that people don't like to wear their grits and gravy, don't you? And then, and then Buddy... On top of that, told us that we were going to do all of this in silence. We were going to serve these tables in silence. So, great, Lord, thank you. Not only are you uh, making me do something that I'm not good at, you're now taking away something that I am fairly good at, and that is words. Lots of them. Um, so, so, now what am I going to do? How, how am I going to be able to say, I'm sorry I dropped the on your child how am I going to be able to use 
uh, self-deprecating humor to kind of defend myself when, when things go wrong. I mean, if I'm going to be incompetent, at least let me be entertaining. It came down to this. I came on this retreat to be served, not to serve. And any hope of getting God to do for me what I wanted him to do for me shattered like a drop plate. Because the reality is I'm no different than John and James. I want to be served, not served. That's why I think I came into the world. And, you know, we give these guys a hard time, don't we? First of all, can you imagine, can you imagine having this story told about you over and over and over again every time the gospel is preached? These poor guys. <laughs> it's humiliating. But John and James had an agenda for Jesus. And so do I. And I'm guessing so do you. Um, I think we all know that we all come into the world and we all come into every relationship and role and responsibility that God has given us saying, I'm here to be served, not to serve. Thank you very much. Um, and maybe you might say, well, Jimmy, I, can, I get that about you, but I'm not convinced that I have that kind of serve me heart. Well, welcome to Mark chapter 10 where where Mark lays out in this story some signs that you have a served me heart. So let's look at it together. James and John are the poster children of the served me heart. And Mark says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So the first sign of a served me heart is it's a heart that says, Do for me. Do for me. Do for me. So let me ask, when you think about how you treat the people in the places where you work and worship and live and play and study, um, is your general attitude toward them one that says, I want you to do whatever I ask of you? What, what are you going to do for me? Um, or is your question, what can I do for you? For example, how do you treat the service people that you come into contact with, whether it's a, a, a restaurant server or the lady at the cash register at Walmart or uh, the delivery person or the store clerks, wherever you go? How, how do you see them? How do you treat them? Are they there for you or are you there for them? I was in El Matate the other night picking up some to-go food and I witnessed this lady don't know her, but she raked this high school girl who was the hostess over the coals and shamed her loud so that everybody could hear because she wasn't happy with how this girl was doing the list, the, the waiting list. Now, she was doing that out loud on the inside. I was like, where is my food? So how do we, how do we treat the people who serve us? How do we treat uh, the moms who serve us so faithfully in our house? Are they there for us or are we there for them? 
A serve me heart looks at God and other people and says, do for me. But let's keep going. Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Pay attention to the question he had. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. The serve me heart also says, give me glory. Grant us to sit in your glory, they said. A serve me heart looks at God and other people's and, at people and says, give me glory. So, so when you think of how you treat the people in the places where you work and worship and live and play and study, is your general attitude one that says to them, put me in a place where I can get glory? Or maybe, maybe glory is too fancy a word for you. Maybe glory is too strong a word for you. Um, what about, put me in a place where I can feel significant. Put me in a place where I feel noticed. Put me in a place where I feel important. I mean, why, why when we were kids, um, did we all want to ride shotgun? You remember that? You and your siblings are all running to the minivan, yelling, I got shotgun, I call shotgun, and fighting over, and mom's going crazy. They're doing it again. What is the deal with shotgun? Um, we all wanted to be the one sitting up front at mom's right hand. Do you recognize the ways in your family or your workplace or in your friend group or on social media that you are trying to sit up front? That's a serve me heart that says, y'all all need to grant me glory. And sometimes our demand for glory shows up as anger when someone else is getting the glory we're after. Mark says, and when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples heard James and John ask for this, they began to be indignant at James and John. So it may be even this, maybe you're not the one who's asking for the glory, but you get mad when other people are, are, are trying to get the glory that you want. If you get angry or snarky or roll your eyes when someone else tries to sit up front instead of you, when someone else gets that glory, then you might have a serve me heart. And there's at least one more sign that you have a serve me heart. Mark goes on. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones, I think you probably said that with kind of a, with air quotes, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. See, the, the serve me heart says, you're beneath me. So get behind me. James and John were simply acting according to the norms of their culture. In that time and in that part of the world, there was a certain pecking order. The rulers were at the top, and then there were those who served the rulers, and then those were who then there were those who served those who served the rulers, and then those who then there were those who served those who served those who served the rulers. And, and you get the picture. That's the pecking order. And so you kind of knew where you fit in society by where you were on that ladder. 
One of the ways that you determined your place in society was by the answer to this question. How many people serve you? How many people serve you? And the fewer people that, ser that you serve and the more people that serve you, the better your place, the higher your value. So James and John were, were just jockeying for a position, one in which they could say to others, I'm great, you're not. I'm first, you're last, you're beneath me, so get behind me. And so when we think about how we treat the people in the places where we work and live and worship and study and play, is our attitude toward those people, you're beneath me, so get behind me. There's a common theme in all of these signs of a serve me heart. And that theme is this. These are all ways that we substitute ourselves for God. That we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. Where we claim privileges and positions, power and praise that only God deserves. That's running through all of these signs. And this, friends, is the essence of sin. We are slaves to our serve me hearts. We come into the world saying, I came to be served, not to serve. But Jesus tells James and John and us that we can't be his disciples unless we are servants. And that word he used, I've, I've told you about before because he used it a couple of chapters ago. That word for servant is the word diakonos. And lo and behold, a diakonos in that day and age was someone who waited tables. A diakonos was a servant who did what I had to do at Young Life Camp at Windy Gap. They had to serve the tables that they were assigned. And so they would look and they would see, what do the people at those tables need? I'm here to serve them. That's the word Jesus used when he said that we can't be his disciples unless we are servants. Disciples of Jesus are like those servers at restaurants and banquets who say, hi, I'm Jimmy. I'll be taking care of you tonight. What can I do for you? But I have to confess, and those who know me best would confer, or confirm this, <laughs> that's not the beat of my heart. The beat of my heart is not typically Hi, I'm Jimmy. Uh, I'll be taking care of you tonight. How can I help you? And so I say to Jesus, how? How am I going to do this? I can't stop my serve me heart. Do for me, grant me glory, and you're beneath me, so get behind me, are like chains that hold me captive. Wretched man that I am, I'm a slave to my serve me heart. And this, this is why verse 45 is so glorious. In fact, uh, many of the commenta commentaries that I read say verse 45 summarizes the whole gospel of Mark. It also summarizes Isaiah 53 that Nathan read for us earlier. Verse 45 is so glorious. It says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. How are we to be free from our slavery to the serve me heart? Jesus came to serve us by giving his life as a ransom for us in our place. A ransom was a price paid to free either a prisoner of war or a slave to to bring them out of their captivity. That's what a ransom was. It was the price paid to free a slave. And that's what this verse is talking about. And summarizing Isaiah 53 uh, about the suffering servant who would come and offer himself as the substitute for the sins of his people, not just paying the ransom price, but becoming the ransom price. And in your bulletin, I, I, I put this quote by John Stott, and I think he kind of helps us capture and tie all of this together. He says, the concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. This substitution of himself for sinners is what Jesus told the disciples he would do. Remember, he said, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. For us, whose hearts continually say, do for me, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus did come to serve us, but not to do whatever we wanted him to do, but to do what we needed him to do to ransom us from our serve-me slavery. And as he promised, he was condemned to death for the condemnation that we deserve for our serve-me hearts. For us whose hearts say, give me glory, grant me glory, let me sit up front. Jesus was crucified on a cross between a sinner on his left hand and a sinner on his right hand so that he could grant sinners like us a way to be seated with him in his glory. Jesus took on himself something that we fear most. We want glory, but we deserve shame. Fear that shame. Jesus deserved all the glory we crave, but he took on himself the shame that we deserve. Jesus was mocked in our place, spit upon in our place, flogged, publicly humiliated in our place. And for us, whose hearts say to other people, you're beneath me, so get behind me. Jesus laid down his great life for us who are beneath him and behind him. Jesus became last for us so that we, the last, could become first in him, with him. Jesus said he would be killed and raised. He was executed on our cross so that we would be exalted with him. And we're crowned. 
So friends, Jesus' answer to our serve me demand is, okay, I will. I will serve you by giving my life to rescue you from your serve me heart and by transforming you into someone who becomes more and more like me. Someone who shows up in the places I put you saying, I came here not to be served, but to serve. What do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus did for James and John and the other ten disciples. They were transformed into people who lived like their suffering servant, Jesus. James didn't make it past Acts chapter 12. King Herod put a sword through him for serving people the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. And John, was he transformed? In one of his letters, John, the son of Zebedee, summarized what those who have been served by Jesus um, will be when he transforms them. 1 John 3, 16, John wrote this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. Friends, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We serve because he first served us. And so, what do you do with that? I want to invite you to go back right now, everybody, Turn back in your bulletin to our confession of sin. And we're going to read it again. And then I'll pray. And we'll be done. This is the response that God would have us give to what we've heard today. Let's read. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm your bondservant. Other bonds took a place in my heart and the affections of my soul. But they were bonds of sin, which I regret I ever made. I thought I was my own, and I lived to myself. I only pleased served myself, as if I were created for no other reason. My thoughts and desires, hopes and joys, all bowed down to the trivial things, wealth, ease, pleasure, fame. And while I thought I was free, I was a servant to corruption. What have I done, Lord? I have lived to myself and not to you. But now, Lord, through your mercy, I have learned to abandon myself. Your grace appeared and taught me to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. I repent. I lay myself and all that belongs to me entirely at your feet. All things are from you, and I bring them to you as a willing, joyful offering. What have I in the world What I have in the world is more yours than mine. Soften this stubborn heart and turn it into love so that I might live like my Savior who came not to be served but to serve. Amen.